All right, well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, the first Sunday where we've changed our time, so now it, there will be no more awkward, like, good morning, oh, wait, it's afternoon, so what do we say now? We don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, it's really good to, to be here and thankful that we have this space. This is going to be the first time that we're in this room for, I, I guess, the next few months. The guy, uh, the engineer, not just the, 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 the guy, the engineer said that it was going to be at least until May, so we're going to be here for the next few months, and we're thankful for that, that we have the space, and we just need to make sure that we take care of it the best we can. I, I think we do a good job about that, and they seem to be appreciative of that, that they know they can count on us not just to pay every time we're supposed to, but also to take good care of it. But um, let's just make sure we ex- express thanks for that, that, that they have provided this opportunity for us. Um, we're going to be in Psalm 113. Psalm 113. I know Richard read it at the beginning of our service. And it's all a song of praise. So it's, it's really fitting that we would think about something like this when we're talking about worship. And it's good that we started out with this psalm, reading this psalm before we went into worship, I think. I do want to reread this, but what I want to do today is I want to genuinely ask the question that he asks in verse 5. And then what I want to do is I want to notice some things about God and what that means for us. What are the things that he mentions here? This being a psalm that maybe we could attribute it to David. This is actually a collection of psalms. Uh, 113 through 118 is considered um, Hillel songs, psalms. And specifically, it seems like they're, they're Egyptian Hillels. So all of these psalms, 113 through 118, I guess you might say typically are attributed to, to songs that would be sung around the holidays. And by holidays, I mean the Jewish holidays. Passover, Pentecost, things like that. That's why a lot of this is going to be focused back, thinking about their time when they were about to be let out of Egypt, when they were going to escape. And then while they were going to be wandering and and the the days they were supposed to keep when they got into the land. So that's what this psalm is focused on. This is the first of of the six here. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So if you think about the situation with people coming out of Egypt, would they have a reason to praise the Lord? I would say so. If they were thinking about the fact that God had delivered them from this evil ruler, Pharaoh, that was as we talked about this morning in the class with Moses, that he was burdening them and making their burdens even harder. He would enslaved these people. Is there a reason for them to praise God for leading them out of that situation? Yeah. Now, what about right, right before they were let out? If you think about the, the last plague where they shared a meal or they put the blood over the doorpost and the firstborn of every child that did not have that blood over the doorpost was actually killed. Did they have a reason to praise God? I would say so. Those are the things that they're thinking about when they, when they sing this hymn, when they 
chant this or, or, or pray this, however you want to you phrase it. When they think about their situation, they are left with no other response other than to praise God. And they want to share that. They want to kind of get, generate that among each other. They want to encourage each other to praise the Lord. So they would, they would sing a hymn like this. And I can't help but wonder when you look at Matthew 26, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 26, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he said, and this was during the Passover meal, there's this special time where he, he institutes his supper. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. He spoke a blessing and broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. There's a chance that this is one of the hymns they sang. There's a good chance that this hymn is one just traditionally that they would sing around the time of this meal. So think about the situation. Jesus has just said, this is my body and it's going to be broken for you. This is my blood that is going to be shed for you and for the world. And they sing this hymn, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for who he is. Praise the Lord for what he's done. And we're going to talk about some of the details in a second. But also think about what Jesus is thinking as he's about to go to the Mount of Olives. What's about to happen to him? He's about to be betrayed. He's about to be taken by one of his own and betrayed. He's about to be taken into the, into the arms of people that want to kill him. He's going to be berated, mocked, put to shame. And he's going to be put on a cross. And he's going to be put on display for everyone to see so that they would shame him and mock him and spit on him even more. And yet he is singing a song about praising God, praising the Lord, blessing the name of the Lord. He is the one saying that he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. These are the things that he's thinking of and, and sharing with his brethren before he's about to undergo the worst experience that, that he could imagine, to the point where it, even he in the garden would say, let this cup pass from me. But he was still thinking about praising the Lord. And I, I can't help but wonder if all that he knows that's going to happen and all that he knows about salvation and what it means for the people and what it means for the world and these people he is with, I can't help but wonder if that just helps him to get through it even more, that he can truly praise the Lord, praise his Father, and be obedient even to the point of death. So that, that's the setting. That, that, that's the things that, that, that they would typically be, be thinking about when they would sing this hymn. So I think it's appropriate for us to consider this hymn and just, and just to wonder, I, say, I keep saying hymn, it's all the same to me. Psalm, hymn, spiritual song, right? It's all the same. I think it's appropriate for us to consider this and just to, to think about what does this mean for us today? What, how should we apply this? What are some points that we can draw out that make application to us? Because we live in a different time. We, we're not thinking about coming out of Egypt. And we're not thinking about the fact that we're about to be taken and put on a cross. We're, we're on this side of the cross. But I, I do think that there are quite a bit of, of application points for us. Let's go ahead and break it down. And, and we're going to have three different sections here. We're going to do one through three, four through six, and seven through nine. Uh, that just works out perfectly for a lesson. But if you look at it, it is really broken down into those segments. So what he starts talking about is just how 
deserving God is of praise. And it says that he's deserving from this time forth and forevermore. So just to make the first point, God is deserving of praise now and forever. He's always been deserving of praise because he created everything. He created us and he created everything around us. So who do we look to when we have been given such great things? We look to the one that gave it. It, when, when you're a child, I don't know if you always look at your parents as deserving of praise, but when they give you great things, you definitely do. Uh, now, you might be selfish and just run away and forget to say thank you, but, but you're really, really grateful for that thing. Maybe not who gave it, but you know, for us, we're mature. We, we can think a little, bit, a little bit differently than a child. We should look around us and see how great things we have, the great things we have and how great we have it, and just give praise to God. He's deserving of praise for that alone. But it says that he's, he is deserving of praise even from before, from, from, from before and then now and then forevermore. He's deserving of praise because the showing of his power, might, grace, love, and just how wonderful he is in every way has always been there. It's always been on display and it still is today. And this is something that any person could say if they were a witness to who God is and what he's done. This isn't unique to someone that is a disciple. This wouldn't be unique to somebody that is a child of God. Someone could look around and see how great things are around them and say, praise God. But we're in a different situation. How much more should his servants praise him? How much more should we praise him? We have a greater reason to praise and bless God. So, so I want to talk about a few things that we believe that gives us a reason to praise him. And it's going to loosely be based on just the first three verses. The first thing is that God is eternal. Like he's deserving of praise because we believe God is, was, and will always be. That he is deserving of praise because he spans all time. And that's something that we can't say that anything about. We can't compare that to ourselves at all. For instance, in a few passages, Job 36, Elihu, when he's talking to Job, he says, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. God is so great, and he spans all time. We can't even search all of his ways and, and who he is fully. He reveals himself to us, and, and we can understand him to a certain point. But can we, can we really understand one that is eternal? John 17, Jesus says in his prayer, And now, Father, glorify me in your, in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So this applies even to our Savior. God has always been before the world ever existed. In the Second Peter 3, 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Time is nothing to God. God is eternal. He is deserving of praise because of that alone. And it, maybe that doesn't really motivate us to praise him, but it's a fact that should allow us to, to be in awe of him. And when, when you're in awe of someone, you should praise them. You, you look back in the Old Testament, and so many times, I think we've talked about this in some of our classes, so many times when people are, are faced with God, their initial response is to fall on their face. And I just wonder if we would have the same response. I mean, maybe if he showed up in a really majestic way, right in front of us in a burning bush or in whatever it is we, we, we would be forced to i would think but when we look around at just who he is and his creation why are we not forced to just as much as we would in those situations 
God is deserving of praise without a doubt. Another reason that, that I see from here is that he can create and give life. I know it doesn't say that specifically, but just the fact that he should be blessed from this time forth and forevermore shows how, how great he is in the fact that he is the giver of life. He, he originated life. Life exists because God created it. Romans 4, 16 and 17 says, That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. There's two amazing facts that Abraham knew about God that caused him to praise him, to worship him, to follow him. He knew that he gave life to the dead, and then he called into existence things that did not exist. We know that too. We know that because we believe that God created life. He created Adam. We know that because we've seen people, not with our physical eyes, but we've seen people through the scriptures that we believe were given life when they were dead. Josh read from 1 Corinthians 15 earlier to help prepare us for the Lord's Supper. And what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about, as we've studied in our Wednesday night classes, the resurrection, the fact that life was given to one that, was, that is dead. And it was unbelievable to many, but that is what our faith rests on, is that Christ was dead and he was given life. That's what we believe about God. So again, he of course is worthy to be praised because he is a creator and sustainer and he gives life and can give life to us. And another way that we should apply that is also our spiritual life. We, we all have been dead. And we all have been given life. How much more should we praise him when we have that understanding? Not just, oh, we look around and see there are living things, so we should praise God. No, we, can ex- we have experienced a, a greatness in this. We have experienced a uniqueness in this life-giving entity. Just saying if someone didn't really believe in God. We believe in someone who not only gives life that is around us, but gives us a, an eternal life that he's placed within us. And the last thing I think that we can notice that, that we should uh, know about God that helps us to, to praise him is that he, for can, he can forgive and give refreshing. I think it's, a little, it's interesting. He says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. I want to take that a couple of different ways. First, just all time, God, God is worthy to be praised. No matter what time of day, he's worthy. No matter where you are on the, on the earth, God is worthy to be praised. But do we experience times in our life where it seems like it's a rising of the sun and other times where it's really the setting of the sun? If, if you just think about the fact that we are born and then we die. So from the beginning of my life to the end of my life, not just the beginning of the day to the end of the day, but the beginning of my life to the end of my life, God is worthy to be praised. And let's just take it a little bit looser and say from the peaks and valleys of my life even. There, there are times where it really seems like certain things are hard in life. And it seems like the sun is just setting on some things and not in a good way. Some people love the you know, night, but when you're thinking about it that way, it's not a really pleasant thing. Well, God is still worthy to be praised because he's still God. He's still, he's still the Jehovah God. And what about when things are going great, when the sun is risen? And I don't know about you, I don't really enjoy that too much because I don't want to see the, the sun rise. <laughs> That's just not something I want to see. But if it, did, if it wasn't there after I woke up, you know, if it wasn't already a little bit higher up, I would be really disappointed in that. 
Because there's something that's refreshing about that. So in the good times of life, he's also worthy to be praised. If this is something that these people who had just left Egypt were to remember about God, how much more should we remember this when we think about the the state that we were in before Christ? That we were in bondage to sin. That we had, were, were almost incapable of having a relationship with God the way we wanted to. Think back to what we talked about with Moses. Remember, he came to Pharaoh and he appealed to him. Let the people go and worship God. Let them go sacrifice to God. Why couldn't they do that where they were? Number one, they really weren't given that much opportunity. But also, there were certain things about the sacrifices that were an abomination to the Egyptians. They would not be allowed to do certain things to sacrifice to God the way they should. So Moses is asking, let them go sacrifice to God. And I just can't help but wonder... How long had it been since they had been able to sacrifice to, the, to God the way that they knew they needed to? I don't know how long, but I can, I can only imagine that for most people, they had maybe never been able to. I mean, Moses was gone for 40 years. You had a lot of people that were there working in Egypt that had not truly been able to sacrifice to God the way that he wanted them to. Well, for us, can we look back on a time where we weren't able to have a relationship with God the way we wanted to because of things in our life. Not because of a ruler, you know, a king is, is not allowing us to, but because of who we are, because we have sin, because we're just not really seeking him. And so therefore, he doesn't want that kind of sacrifice or praise. It's almost like an Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah um, 56 kind of situation, I think is the passage, where it says that he doesn't want your sacrifices and offerings. He wants a contrite heart. There's no way it's Isaiah 56, but it's, it's in Isaiah somewhere. So how much more should we be able to say, yes, God is worthy of praise, just like those people did? So that's, what, that's one of the things that I think is really important for us to focus on. Let's go with four through six now. When you notice this, I said that the, the question that I want to ask is from verse five. Who is like the Lord our God? And if you look at the context in four through six, what he's saying is that he is so high and he is so great. Who is like him? What other God is like him? What other, what idol represents this God? Well, there's not one that can ever be made. There's not one that has ever existed. No one has believed in a God that is like this God. God is higher than all things and places on earth. He is higher than every form of greatness that we can see around us and witness on this earth. And there's nobody that can sit above him and judge him. There's nobody that can sit above him and look down on what he is doing. We look up to see the things that he, is, he has done and that he is doing. His glory surpasses all the splendor of all the heavens even. Those, those are things that confuse me. They, they, they really interest Richard. He loves thinking about the heavens and space and everything. And those are things that I just look at and I say, that, yeah, that's cool. I mean, there's, that's really cool. And it's beautiful to walk around at night and to see the stars. And everything. That's, that's fine, you know, but... I don't really care to, to understand it all. But that's something that blows people's minds. That they can't fathom a lot of those things. And God is above that. God is above all of the greatness that we see around us. So when he looks down on his creation, what does he see? If you go back to the creation account, he saw that everything was very good. He saw everything was very good. But it didn't stay that way. It didn't say that way at all. So as, as God is high above all nations, his glory is above the heavens. 
He looks far down, or another translation says that he has humbled himself to look down and behold the heavens and the earth. What does God see? Well, he, he sees his greatness and he sees also the, the chaos that ensues shortly after man has been created. But does that mean that he's not worthy of praise just because man kind of messed up the, the great work that God did? Well, of course not. God is still great and he still is deserving of, of praise. Let's go over to Psalm 115. It might be in the same opening. Psalm 115. Let's read 1 through 3. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. One of the things I wanted to focus on with this is just the fact that although chaos ensues and it's, there's just seemingly um, uh, terrible things going on all around you. You have a, a brother killing his own brother. You have, uh, obviously, the tower that they call the Tower of Babel. You have Noah shortly after. I mean, I know that spans a lot of time, but it's not that long in the narrative before it's just utter chaos left and right everywhere you look. Well, who is God, though? Well, he, he is steadfast and he is faithful. Although, although we aren't steadfast, although we aren't faithful, although we aren't true and, and a constant, God is. So he's deserving of praise for that. God is not found among the idols because he's greater. He's higher than those things. So when, when people, when other nations say, where is their God? Well, what do his people say? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. And the next section is where he talks about the idols there. Let's also go to uh, Psalm 116. Let's read a few verses from here. Psalm 116, we're going to begin in verse 1. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So if someone was in the midst of all this chaos and terrible things, what, what were they doing? Well, they were turning around and blessing God. They were suffering distress and anguish, but they were saying, Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And now let's go down to verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. I really like verse 8 and 9 a lot. And I think that's something that would be helpful for us to focus on when we are looking around at our life and seeing that it can be just utter chaos because of the mess we make at times. Just like humanity was to do. They were to turn to God and to see that he was the one that that can deliver us. He is the one that we should praise. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. When God looks at his creation, he sees that this is all that is going on. And he is so much greater than that. And when we look at our lives, do we think oftentimes that it's very good? Like God would look down on his creation and see it's very good? Or do we look, down, do we look at our lives and think it's not very good? God is great and worthy of praise even when my life seems like a wreck, 
because of what I've done or what someone else has done to me. Because he didn't create my life in a wreck, but through time and through sin, that's what it becomes, just like the world. But God still looks down on his world, and God still looks down on us. God is the constant one. So we need to ask the question, so who is like the Lord? Well, nobody. <laughs> nobody is. And that's really the point of the psalm. Nobody's like the Lord. So praise him. He's still worthy of praise even when it's hard for you to, to muster that up. Is he still worthy of praise even when you're just made a wreck of your life? God's not the one that made creation sin. God's not the one that made people murder and be violent and lie. But when people do that, they can still turn to God and praise him. And that's, that's a lesson for us, I think, as well. God's not, and this is just a couple of um, passages in the New Testament that, that this whole thing made me think of and taking them really out of context, but I think there's, there's lessons to learn from these two passages. I think most of us know the passage that God is not the author of confusion in 1 Corinthians. It's not talking about anything like what we're talking about right now. But just the premise that God isn't the one that causes confusion, so he doesn't need to be praised and worshipped that way, I think it tells us something about God. We, we shouldn't look at our life and attribute that and think like, well, obviously this says something about how God is. No, like God is the one that's constant. And if we are more like him, then we'll see how our lives change. We can't take our state and its chaos and its confusion and say, well, that's how God is. No, 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 that's not how that works. But what he is, is he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He doesn't author confusion. He, he authors an opportunity to, for us to be faithful to him. And just like he doesn't author confusion, he doesn't want people to worship him in that way. So when we think about praising God and when we think about worshiping him, we, we need to understand that this doesn't need to be a haphazard thing. It doesn't need flippant. And it doesn't need to be something that we just, in our minds, say, well, I'll do it however I want to do it. No, God is not the author of confusion. He is the one that is constant. And however he says we should worship him, that's, that's exactly what we should do. Let's go on to the, to the last section here in Psalm 113, where he talks about he raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. And then he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. I think we're supposed to see the, just how gracious God is here. He is so gracious. He, he lifts up the poor and needy. He cleanses them and prepares them to sit with royalty. He provides a place for the, the one that's outcast. Like a barren woman is an outcast in, in this day and time. Not now, but I'm saying when this was written. There's an outcast. And we, we see that, that dynamic play out in, through some of the studies we've had, like for instance with Sarah. We saw that play out. You, they, they, these women, they felt a certain way because of how society looked at them. Well, how does God look at them? God gives the barren woman a home. There's a place for even the outcast with God. And not only that, but there's a blessing through that person. Making her the joyous mother of children. Not every barren woman was given children. But God uses certain people that we've read about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to show that he gives life through someone that seems like they could not produce life. That he gives fruit and produce through someone who seems like they could be unfruitful. 
And I think that's an amazing thing that we're supposed to learn about God is that that's how gracious he is. That's how giving he is. The interesting thing about verse 7 in particular is it's actually also in 1 Samuel chapter 2, which is Hannah's prayer. If you remember the situation, Hannah, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, chapter 2 is, is her actual prayer, which is it's pretty amazing. But if, if you think about why this was happening, in the first chapter, you have this person who, who is just in, like, in torment because she's not able to have a child. If you look at verse 5, the Lord closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she wept up, went up to the, house of Israel, to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. That's the situation of this woman. So, then, so she goes and she's worshiping, worshiping God and she starts praying. And if you look down in verse 8, he raises up the poor from the dust he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Which came first, this Psalm 113 or Hannah's prayer here in First Psalm 2? I think it would be Psalm 113 probably. At least the idea of it, right? Now maybe what happened is maybe people knew this prayer of Hannah and they applied it to the things of the people coming out of Egypt. But that instance came long before Hannah was ever around. And I, I bring that up just to say that this idea of what God is able to do with dust and what God is able to do with the poor and how he's able to lift them up, he's able to provide things for those that are needy, that's not new. That's been around since Adam was created from the dust. And since the, and since the people of God came out of Egypt and since Hannah was not able to have a child, all of these things are to prove to us a very important point. That our God is so gracious and loving that he can flip things on its head in a way that we can't even imagine. This reminds me a lot of 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. We even talked about, I think Vadim even made mention of it this week or last week in, in our Wednesday night class. That God uses the poor. God uses the needy. God uses the weak and the lame. God uses those people who didn't seem like they were able to be used. They seem useless. And that's exactly who God uses and why. Not so that they would boast, but so that they would praise him. And one, one question I, I have about for myself, and I, I would encourage you to think about the same thing. Would you praise God more if he took a lot of things away from you? I've never seen myself being needy. I'm not lame. I, I mean, I, I could probably say loosely like I'm slower now, but I'm not lame. I, I can, I'm fine with all that. I, I have nothing that where I feel like I fit in that category. And... But if, I, but if he took it all away, if I didn't have any of it, would I see myself as being someone that God can still rise up to sit with princes? Would I praise him even more if that was the case? And if the answer is probably yes, then that's not right. I should see myself as being someone that is, was still poor and needy, someone that was without hope totally. Let's look at a few other passages here in Psalms. Psalm 115 Let's look at verse 19, in verse 9, excuse me. Psalm 115, verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord 
He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. For the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. Now let's go to chapter 116, Psalm 116, beginning verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And now let's go down to Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is, the stead, is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The Lord remembers us, blesses us. He hears our cry. He hears the cry of his servants, and he continues to give us. And so what is our response? Our response doesn't need to be like a child that takes all these great things, and just runs and plays with it until the toy breaks and then wants another one. He's given us some amazing things in this life. He's given us people. He's given us a relationship with him. He's given us an avenue of prayer. He's given us the jobs we have. He's given, I mean, he's given us all things. And do we only turn and praise him when something gets broken? And if the answer is yes to that, then I think that we have some evaluating. Do we need to see that he is great and he is awesome and he is gracious and he's deserving of praise at all times? Because he is steadfast and faithful towards us. I want to go to one other passage and then this will be the last place we read. And it's going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Keep in mind the things that it says about he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of her children. And he's going to make these people sent with princes, with the princes of his people. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's exactly what God has done through Christ for us. He's taken us as being needy, as being hopeless, as being lame, beggars, and he has raised us up. And where are we seated now? Well, we are able to be seated with Christ. And then one other point just to note, when it comes to the barren woman, what is a more hopeless state? Being a barren woman or being dead? A barren woman is not able to give life. But she has life. A dead person doesn't even have life. And that's what God has done for us. That's, it. that's what he's done with us. He has given us life. None are like God. So none deserve attention or praise like him. So as we, as we think about these things, as we consider what God has done for us, just a couple of thoughts and, and a couple of questions as we, as we wrap up. What is most of your attention and focus on? Who is it on? What in your life is most of your attention on? And I I realize that that would be different for all of us. But whatever it is, if it's not the Lord, then it's not what it needs to be. It needs to be focused on God. He is deserving of all praise all the time. If not the Lord, then we're not giving him what he's due. 
So we need to praise the Lord because he's worthy and because he's so faithful to us. And if we, if we lack motivation for why we should focus on God and praise him and give him all that we have, then just go back and read Ephesians 2 again and see your state. And compare it to thinking about how those people who sang this hymn uh, long ago, the fact that they saw themselves as being nothing without God. And that's exactly the situation we find ourselves in. And that's not meant for us to feel terrible about ourselves, but it's meant for us to turn and to praise God and see how great he is. And I do think that in my life I've seen this, and I would encourage you to do the same, that if you struggle with finding more motivation for praising God, you need to learn more about God. The more you learn of him, from my experience, the more you'll see reasons to praise him. Even in difficult times, even when you see yourself being needy, even in great times when you see yourself, I have everything, you'll be able to always see that God deserves praise. Praise be God forever. So I wanted to take the, this opportunity this morning just to, just to focus on who God is and what he's done. God is so great. He's deserving of praise. He's so gracious to us. And if, if any of us doubt that, if any of us are lacking, I guess, a, a push or a motivation to worship him, I, I would really encourage you just to, to seek him and to, seek his scripture to seek comfort in, in other people that do seek him and praise him. So that way you might see your state a little bit better and more clearly. If you're here and you need prayers of this congregation, we don't, we don't have people that like come forward all the time or really hardly ever, and, and that's fine. But I, I would really encourage everyone to reach out to somebody if you need anything. Reach out to somebody you feel like you can confide in somebody that you can trust that's going to point you to the Lord. I don't want to praise the Lord just by myself and, and let, let that be that. I want to praise the Lord with, with all of you. And so if you're lacking some motivation in that, if you're finding it hard to seek the Lord, then reach out to somebody. Reach out to anyone that's here. But if you do want to make something known to the group here, we, we definitely will pray with you, pray for you. We will do everything we can. And if it means that you need to repent of some things and change your life around, we'll We'll do the best we can to help you with that. Or if it means that you've never been cleansed from sin and you need to be forgiven by being baptized and turning to God in that way, then we can arrange that as well. If you have any need, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?